Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You want to help make the world a better place. It's time to run and drive and make things with the Game Changers because this is where the best run. This is season six of one of our longest running SAP Game Changers series. I have two opening buzz quotes before we get to our topic. This would set us up nicely. And then I'll have my three esteemed guests introduce themselves. So buzz number one is from a gentleman who is a professor of strategy at the Bocconi University School of Management. His name is Carl. Carlo Alberto Carnavali Maffei, and here's the quote. Prior generations took pride in owning products. Ah, but current and future generations are very different. They just want to use the product. Okay, all of you millennials and others, think about that. And here's a quote from a website called fieldservicenews.com. I discovered this. Listen up. Servitization. Yes, that's our topic today. Servitization remains something of an opaque concept for many manufacturers, while for others, it is a journey they are already a long way down. What is clear, though, is that with each passing day, the countdown to widespread adoption of some form of advanced services appears to draw nearer. But This is a heads up for our listeners, our business audience around the world. It cannot be achieved by simply improving or replacing your separate legacy business systems and processes. So there we've got a setup on who is looking for this and how do you deliver it to them. So let me give you a little more background. As margins continue to shrink for traditional equipment sales, you know who you are and you know what you're doing and you know what the impact is on your bottom line, manufacturers must embrace new business models, period. That's the message. One pathway for greater profitability is offering different types of services for assets. These could be a simple break fix, could be an annual contract, could be providing services based on data you collect from the assets, such as performance benchmarking, predictive maintenance, and even outcome or guaranteed performance. Wouldn't we all love guaranteed performance? So how can manufacturers undertake the journey to embrace these new service offerings? And that's what we're here to talk about today. What kinds of intelligent technologies and business processes do you manufacturers need to ensure that such assets centric, data-centric businesses will be successful. I have three experts here. We're going to find out everything we need to know. I want you to each wave when I call your name, Torsten Welty at SAP. Welcome back, Torsten. I hope you are well. Good to see you again. We have David Lawson at Capgemini. Hi, David. He was on a show with me recently. And we have a newcomer, John Majori. I'm going to spell his last name in case you want to find him, M-A-G-G-I-O-R-E. He's at Collinear Group. And we're going to ask them for their take on is service the solution solution, the new world for manufacturers. Welcome, 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 and a shout out to our longtime sponsor of the series, Judy Cubis, who is here in the background cheering us on. So let's go around the table and find out who our guests are. Torsten Welty, I'm sure there's probably only about seven people who don't remember you. Shame, <laughs> shame on them. So you talk to those seven people, please. Pull them, get, yeah. Bring them up to date on what you've been up to and what's your passion for this topic. Welcome, Torsten. Absolutely. Thanks, Bonnie, for having us. Um, Torsten Walty in the SAP world. Um, I 
am part of the industries group. Uh, I lead the aerospace and defense industry, which means we're looking after the solutions, uh, the capabilities, and our partners uh, and the new trends. And in addition to that, I uh, lead the everything as anything as a service. Uh, the development team and uh, solution team that really uh, focuses around servitization um, and uh, the new topic that we're talking about. And the passion why everything as a service, not only because I lead it, but also I have a super passion for it because it brings really all the different things together. Um, meaning from a solution perspective, it spans the whole business and it puts a really good challenge on technology to really drive uh, competition in the marketplace. So it's really, really cool to see what's happening in the market. Thank you very much, Torsten. And I have a feeling as we talk about servit, you call it servitization. I go to servitization. I'm not quite sure if we figured <laughs> out what the etiquette is on that word. But I have a feeling that companies have been dipping their toe in that water for a long, long time. And the question is, do you buy the hammer or do you buy the hole in the wall that the hammer creates when you put the nail under the hammer and you make the hole in the wall and what do you put into the hole in the wall? So services, byproducts, what is the result? What is the outcome? What are the services that come with the product? So we'll be talking about that. Thank you, Torsten. Let's go to David Lowson at Capgemini. David, welcome. And there might be, don't feel bad, there might be eight people who don't remember you in the world. So you talk to well, those eight people. I know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm. Um, nice to meet the eight people that I've not met before. Um, David Lawson, uh, I run the SAP Center of Excellence at Capgemini for Europe. I've worked there for a long time. I've done SAP for a long time and ERP for a long time. And before that, I was a failed engineer, which is why I do ERP. I think that's where most ERP people come from. Um, Servitization, yeah, I, I can do a very selfish answer to, to this, which is that it driving an awful lot of very large projects and transformations, which clearly drives my business a lot, which is a, a purely, purely selfish one. But as Torsten said, it's a big end-to-end -end interesting topic, and it's a lot cleverer than might first seem. So, uh, you know, it's, it's intellectually interesting and a, and a big challenge. And, and it's also an incredibly relatable subject. So when you're talking to friends and people like that about what's it doing and what's happening, it's not technical, it's not ethereal. It's something people can go, oh, I understand. So it's a, it's a big topic that everybody can talk about. And in terms of my life, it's a topic that applies to so many industries and many people just don't realize that they're moving towards it. So if you're dispensing drugs at a bedside, if you're, you know, everybody thinks about cars and stuff like that, but there's so much more that you can do with it and the data part of it. So it's just really exciting, all encompassing, easy to understand, and is useful in every industry. That's why I like it. That's me. Sure. Show is over. That's it. He gave us the bread. John, I'm sorry. We'll get to you another time. Hard to follow. Thank you, David. Thank you. He's, he's thirsty because he just expended all that brain energy. David, thank you for making it such a human and understandable topic. And you said it's really not about the technology. It affects and impacts and is understandable by everyone. You humanize the topic. You broaden the understanding and I thank you for that very much. And now, without further ado, let's go to our third guest, John Majori. I'm putting you on full speaker view and full screen view. And John, please tell us what your group does as well as sure. what's your passion for the topic. Go ahead. Thanks, Bonnie. And I'm really glad to be here. So thanks for having me. It's great to be here with Torsten and David. Uh, and hello to all our listeners this morning. The uh, the, the Colinear group is really focused on 
uh, services and consulting in the A&D space and very much in the industry 4.0 space and in aftermarket services. Uh, and that's where I come in. I'm For the last 20 years, I've personally been involved in uh, digital transformation, although 20 years ago we didn't call it that. Uh, but bringing uh, information and insights to, to uh, specifically A&D customers. But uh, my, my passion is really personal passion around this topic and in general uh, is around IoT. And in my world, the T is, is vehicles, air vehicles. Uh, and there are a lot of great examples of how that applies to this topic. Uh, my other passion on a personal note is I'm very passionate about applying uh, technology and IoT technology to sustainability. There's a great opportunity there. I think it somewhat dovetails with this topic. Uh, and uh, David mentioned the human aspect. I'll be bringing that up multiple times during our talk uh, this morning because I think it really plays into this, um, you know, as a people business. And I think through this transformation, this business model transformation, uh, we can make this a more human-based endeavor. So really looking forward to the talk and thank you again for having me. Thank you. We are delighted to have you. Thank you, gentlemen, for your introductions. Appreciate that. This is the part of the show. In case we happen to have a listener who hasn't heard one of my Game Changer shows in the past 11 years, thousands of them to choose from, we have a quote segment where I've asked my guests to send me a fictional quote, fictional character in a movie or a TV show, or a quote from a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And I'm going to ask each of them after I read a little background on the source of the quote, the attribution, if you will, and the quote asked them to explain in their own words how they think it does have to do with our topic. So we have a very interesting quote. Torsten Welty has sent us a quote from the movie Apollo 13, 1995. Really, that long ago, Torsten? What is that? <laughs> yes. 26 Cindy. years ago, American space docudrama film directed by the one and only Ron Howard and starring the one and only Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, Bill Paxton, Ed Harris, and Gary Sinise. What a cast. And quickly, the film depicts, depicts astronauts Lovell, Swigert, and Fred Hayes aboard, aboard Apollo 13 for America's fifth crewed mission to the moon, intended as the third mission to land. However, en route, there happens to be an onboard explosion, which deprives most of the oxygen in the cabin and impacts the, the electrical supply, forcing the controllers to abort the moon landing and struggle to get the three men home safely. So the words spoken by um, Jim Lovell, played by in the movie by Tom Hanks, were supposed to be, okay, Houston, we've had a problem here in the radio communications between Swigert and the control center, Houston, However, uh, being prompted to repeat it because control, mission control wasn't sure they heard it right, Jim Lovell says, ah, Houston, we've had a problem, but the movie didn't want to go with that version. So they changed it to, Houston, we have a problem. So that's the quote Torsten is going to explain to us. Torsten, help me out here. What's going on? <laughs> Absolutely. The link to that is uh, very often um, companies uh, have a problem uh, and then jump, uh, especially for, for companies that have really expensive assets. Uh, and if, if the market condition or if the customers don't have necessarily the cash to, to buy those, those assets, that drives really uh, companies to look into new business models. Uh, and that's where a lot of the companies in the past looked into servitization or anything as a service, uh, or um, in our industry, Rolls-Royce market or branded the stuff powered by the hour uh, 15 years ago. So that's that's where the things come together. And I really like the fact that it 
we have a problem versus we had a problem. Uh, I think now that it it is got established, uh, a lot of people understand the 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 changes in the organization and the changes and how do you interact with the customers and uh, with the technology around it. Uh, it's way more I've had a problem versus have a problem. So that's uh, the really nice connection between those two things. And also that the linking back, uh, it's it's a time uh, when uh, 26 years ago, a couple of days from now, actually is my anniversary of moving to the U.S. So it, it fits personally also into, into the same thing. I've, um, used to not have a problem when I moved to the U.S. and <laughs> not knowing how <laughs> I can settle into that life. So, Thank you. Torsten, this is the first time I believe I've ever had a guest who accepted my reading of multiple versions of a quote, what the actual was, and this was a docudrama, the film, but right. it was a, an enactment or a depiction, if you will, of the variations in the quote and how each of them applies to the topic. So I thank you for that. I salute you for that. That was very elegant, what you just did, and I appreciate that, rather than, how dare you change my quote? No, I didn't. They did. So thank you very much. Let's move on to David Lowson. He sent us a quote from Last Resort, a song by Scottish singer-songwriter Paolo Giovanni Nutini, young man born in 1987. I think we can all agree that's young. It's his first single from his debut album, These Streets. It peaked at number five on the UK singles chart and number 15 on the Italian singles charts. And he has been referred to by the BBC as arguably Scotland's biggest musician right now in 2014. And that was seven years ago. So he's been on hiatus for a while. Not sure, but it looks like he has. So here we go. Here's the quote. Sure. I can accept that we're going nowhere, but one last time, let's go there. Lay down beside me, oh. I hope I did that okay, David. Was that all yeah. right? Yeah. Um, clearly, it's a quote from a song, and uh, it's quite clever, and I like that in lyrics, and it's, you know, I, I think that's nice. I like, I like lyrics have plenty of meanings. Um, I take it that it means that he's going out with somebody their relationship has no future but he really enjoys it and go on one more time or something like that let's go out again or whatever and i just think that's rather sweet you know people get a bit too deep about things and oh we're not going to be able to do this or we're not going to do that well he's sort of saying go on it's nice and we enjoy it why not and i kind of i kind of like that um in relation to um what we're talking about today you know, I, I spend all my time on calls with people going, but it might not work. Oh, dear me, this will get stopped or we're not sure the client will like it uh, or whatever. Um, and all I want to do is say that to them. You know, I know it might not work, but let's do it anyway. And let's see. Let's not risk everything. Let's have a go and see how it works. And I think especially on this topic where everything's changing fast and you have to try things, see if they go anywhere, see if they work fail fast or succeed enormously it's the right thing to do and the people who say no this isn't very good and it should also be enjoyable which Paolo Nutini clearly clearly wants to enjoy it and he's enjoying it and I, and I think that's the whole thing and it's to sort of block out the naysayers and to sort of say let's doing it. it's not doing any harm let's have a go that's my take of it
That's very sweet. <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going with that. I really appreciate that. That's very nice. Again, you're you're appealing to the human side of the conversation, David Lowson, right? Let's let's be people who give it a try. Let's not be dooms doomsayers. Let's give it a try. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And let's go to John Majori's quote. He sent us a quote from Blue Umbrella, another song quote by John Prine, who Born in 46, left us in 2020. American country folk singer, songwriter, composer, recording artist, live performer, and occasional actor. He's called one of the most influential songwriters of his generation. He was known for humorous lyrics about love, life, current events, and serious songs about social commentary and melancholy tales from his own life. He received the Grammy Lifetime Award Achievement Award in 2020. Here's the quote. Just give me one extra season so I can figure out the other four. John, I just got goosebumps. You got to help me with this. What does this have to do with our topic? Or just tell me how beautiful the line well, is. Well, I Go believe ahead. you got goosebumps because it's profound. And uh, and John Prine is really my favorite uh, artist and, and very important American singer-songwriter. So to the audience, if you don't know John Prine, Go to your favorite streaming service and give him a sample because, uh, again, a, a very powerful writer uh, and artist. Uh, very important to me. Uh, the quote comes from a song, as you said, Blue Umbrella. And, you know, John Prine's genius, his sly genius, I would call it, is he, he writes from the voice of a simple man, but he puts forth these pearls of, of, of profound wisdom. Uh, and, and it's it's a very affecting and very powerful. And in this case, what he's saying is, of course, just give me one more season so I can figure out the other four. I'm having to stop myself from singing the song here. The uh, please do. Saying, can you sing it? Okay, sure. No. Go ahead. The uh, uh, but he's what he's saying is he admits he doesn't understand it all. And to me, it's he's saying this is coming from a, a point of humility, and. Uh, and I think it, if you think about the topic, we're talking about leading the industry into new horizons, a new generation. Uh, we need to approach everything we do from a, a standpoint of humility. Uh, and I, I, I'd like to think that uh, I do approach things and we should approach things from a standpoint of humidity, humility and curiosity. So as we go through this discussion and we think about this topic, that's kind of a watchword for me. So that's how I think the quote relates to this topic. Thank you very much, and thank you for acknowledging it was okay to have goosebumps over that line. I will go listen to the song. I was hoping you'd sing for us, John. If I knew it, I probably would have, maybe next time. I tell you what, I'll play the drums and you can sing. We'll make a duet. There you go. Okay, I do. Let's go to our discussion statement part of the show now. I've asked each of my esteemed guests to send four statements on the topic. I will pick one from each. We'll go around the table. First up, I pick statement number two from Torsten Welty because this is a fresh idea idea, something we haven't talked about yet on the show, and here's how it will proceed. I'll read a little bit of it. It's a long statement, and I appreciate the details, Torsten, so thank you. I'll read a little bit of it and ask Torsten to expand it, or as I say on the news, please unpack it. Take about three minutes, and then we'll go around the table for our agree or disagree round. David Lowson will follow Torsten with an agree or disagree comment, and David, we want thought leadership, not just a yes 
or a no. We want to know what you really think. Don't be afraid. Torsten is very, very nice, and he told me he won't be upset if you disagree with him, just so you know. And Judy is listening, and she likes provocative challenges to statements, just so you know. And John, you get the double task of when I get to you of agreeing or disagreeing with what Torsten said and or with David's comments. So you've got twice as much work to do. Torsten Welty, here's statement number two you sent me. You say, managing the life cycle or entire value chain more effectively is what you want to talk about. There might be different drivers to engage with outcome-based business models, such as economical changes, competition, customer expectations, etc. For hardware-centric providers, this means to integrate their aftermarket with their manufacturing operations. I'm going to stop there and let you finish it. Torsten, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> for for most of the companies that are in servitization or in the outcome-based uh, business, uh, they really expand from uh, manufacturing and selling it into uh, adding and operating it and providing it as a as a service. Therefore, the the ideal uh, uh, part of this is really to expand uh, into the operations of your customer. That means you take operations over, services over. But what the good thing with that is, is you actually expand the area where you can optimize not only the product and the services, but also you can uh, remove way more waste uh, in this waste, meaning as, uh, you know, um, products that are not necessarily well designed or in the operations they used are completely different so that you can actually really reduce a lot of the areas or that you can combine efficiencies out of manufacturing, the supply chain and the aftermarket area. So it's really uh, looking at it from an expanded value chain. Um, you have more areas where you can do improvements. You can see how the product is actually used. Um, and uh, the challenges with all of that is that you actually have to go against uh, today's or prior uh, organizational setups where people were measured by KPIs in regards to the performance of selling more services or selling more products, right? You're now selling a service overall, and that doesn't necessarily go against the same kind of KPIs or areas. But in order to be successful, you really have to make sure that you understand the customer's business, you measure it, and you have the insights. And that's where technology, I think, comes into play as a very, very critical piece is to understand that the, uh, how the customer is using it, how their environment works, because you, you might not have necessary people there all the time, but you need to utilize uh, technology to bring all that information together to manage it more effectively. Thank you very much. Ah, the ages of KPIs. Oh, don't I remember those well. Taking months to figure out what you wanted to be and could be measured by. Yes, we'll leave that one alone. David Lowson, join us. Agree or disagree with Torsten? Go ahead, David. I'm going to agree stroke disagree. Um, <laughs> I agreed the initial statement about expanding what, what you care about and everybody joining up. Um, I don't think Torsten mentioned enough of the bits that need to join up to make this a success. Um, I've got really good examples. Um, for example, finance, you're probably going to lease and own the asset that you're doing. Therefore, you've got a bigger balance sheet. Uh, you'll have to sort out your internal trading to make sure that that all works when you're charging each other. Uh, procurement, people tend to configure these things more. So you have to buy different things and you have to predict the trends. Um, 
configure price quote, suddenly people start configuring and pricing and quoting more complex things because they can. Um, PLM, when you're actually doing the design of the product in the first place, that has to be so linked to what you make and what you sell and what you service, what you configure and what you buy. Um, And so breaking down silos all over the place, which Torsten clearly said, the people, the culture, and a vast number of partners who are going to get involved in this. If you're provisioning additional services on top of what you're actually selling, you have to work more closely with people, so culture. So yes, and a lot more than Torsten mentioned. So that's my bit. (laughs) Thank you. Very, very well finessed, Mr. Lowson. Thank you very much. Torsten is still smiling. John Maturi, join us. Thoughts, agree or disagree with either or both or anything? You're up. I'm going to agree with David's disagreement of Torsten's statement and just so I can work my way backward there. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, of course, I agreed fundamentally with what Torsten said. Uh, we, we both come from the same world, and, and this is the North Star that we're, we're going towards. But as he was speaking, the word that came to my mind was audacious. So that's an audacious goal. It's, it's infinitely scoped. And I liked that. I like the fact that it's infinitely scoped, but, uh, you know, we have to scope things so it's realistic uh, in the real world. And I'm not saying that we're not doing that, but it's just, I, I think, David hit it right on the, on the nail on the head. It is complicated, and the larger we scope an endeavor like this, uh, you know, the complexity increases geometrically. You might say so. Uh, we have to keep that in mind. Uh, so we want to have the the lofty goal because the the value potential value delivery is enormous, but we have to t- temper that with the reality, the maturity of of the the parties involved and their ability to process or even decide to do some of these audacious things. So that's my uh, assessment of that discussion. Thank you. Audacious is a good word. Torsten, you've been added on to, you've been appended, expanded, commented on. You're still smiling. Torsten, anything you want to say back to your two co-panelists before we move on? Go ahead. No, it's absolutely right. I I think the, the area you can't unfold this complexity within three minutes. So, um, David, yeah, it's it's absolutely right. That there has way more areas, and in, in every area you look at, if it's a consumer products, it's different than asset. If you go services and uh, software, they're all uh, super super great areas with a lot of complexity behind it, and it goes from every parts of the organization and every process and every piece of technology that you have to look at it in this area. So it's absolutely agree with the ghost. Thank you very much. Good first round. Let's go to round number two. I picked statement number three from David Lowson. I'll read a little bit and then David, you can unpack it. He says, the companies who get this right will win. Let's just stop there for a second. These models will help drive revenue and margin growth for manufacturers and help them differentiate themselves in the market. However, ah, here's the caveat. Scaling these models is never easy. David Lowson, you're up. Take it from there, please. Um, yeah, if you people are finding it harder to make um uh, good margins, uh, they're finding their customers are less sticky, that people can buy from other places. Um, so obviously the move to providing servitization, intimacy that that gives you and the flexibility and the sell-on, and that, that, that sounds to be a fantastic 
way of doing doing things and a lot of companies especially i think those in the in western in the western countries are, are, are moving this way as a way that they can secure their markets and and get really sticky with their customers without fighting competition too much which is great and if they can do it i think because they're really intimate on the ground they're working with people they will succeed however it's not as easy as all that and um you know most of the people who are trying this already have a a standard product line and they're wanting to run this in parallel they want to don't, don't want to damage what they're already doing but they want to keep this going so they've got to set up new ways of working new teams new products new go to markets new everything from billing to the way they teach their sales people um and then you you you've got to scale that up at the same time as you're keeping the other one going um you've got to do that in a cost effective way so you can't assume that you've already got this huge business you've got to find a way of scaling it up and that involves perhaps using partners and companies like sap that can then scale 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 up with you um I work with a range of organizations from very large firms who make lots and lots of things you've heard about who are trying to move to this model to startups. I feel to get this model right it's actually easier to be a startup because you start by getting the product right you start by getting the configuration database right you get the design right you get the options right everything is right from the get go including your staff and I think those startups are going to find this easier to do than the larger companies who already have a business well established and a, a workforce who's used to it who have to adjust their ways of thinking and the ways of doing things um in the world of IT the architecture is going to be you you have to move to a more agile thing which supports different options and stuff like that everything has to be far more joined up even getting that done is not, 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 is is difficult and you look at the time it takes to set it up in the first place you know in a greenfield with one that's sort of a growth company which wants to change as it matures and a fully mature company and you can see that a you know a a new startup could probably get to this model in 6 or 7 months and start servicing a complex market like transportation or, or trucks or something like that a a a company that's been going a couple of years and always knew they were doing this but has to transfer that's probably going to take them a couple of years to do that a very mature company it will take a lot of thought and a lot of time and a lot of cost so you know don't just say we're moving to servitization off we go it's a lot harder than that and thinking about what it means to your existing business is important as well that's what i've got to say thank you very interesting i think that was a wonderful reality check and and this topic has come up on previous shows i've done on very different focus topics david where a startup who has the knowledge the knowledge and the insight and the perspective of what's happening with bigger businesses knows they will be more agile they will be more ready they don't have to pivot they haven't started yet but they will pivot to that idea to that way of doing business and that's where their starting point will be so there is an event very very interesting perspective i wasn't expecting that john majori right this moment in time you are sitting virtually next to mr lowson so i'm going to ask you to agree or disagree and he's a nice person so you can disagree if you want go ahead <laughs> you bet. The um, uh, I 100 110% agree that obviously a small startup uh, with a greenfield situation is going to be able to to do this much more than a, a large company. Uh, in fact, I would say that they'll be have to be the pathfinders to to lead lead the lead the way and, and, and demonstrate that this is viable. Um, so, and, and I really like uh, the description that David gave. of both the provider and the customer having to transform simultaneously which is which is not not a small uh thing to describe so that's a great thing to acknowledge and and 
you know, his point about the, the customer stickiness, we, we all care about that. I would posit that by the time we've gotten to a relationship of this complexity and maturity, that the commitment's already there. And uh, hopefully that would uh, support customer stickiness because the commitment would have to be longer term uh, in this, in this uh, gen new generation ser service model. So generally, definitely agree with what David just said. Thank you. Generally, definitely. I think we have a check mark there. I like that. I'm, I'm teasing you. Torsten, you're sitting next to Mr. John Majori. Go ahead, join us, please. Yeah, so the the only add-on I would say is it, uh, it, it's it's a transformation in in both, as the, the two gentlemen before me said. Uh, but I think it's, it's also for a startup, the big challenge, a lot of the customers may not be always there. You mentioned in the beginning the uh, Generation Z that are probably looking for this. Uh, they're, already, they're already transferred, but everybody else around it, they're still expecting to buy, uh, right? In, in some generations, there is a specific expectations when you buy something, there's a certain emotion associated with it. So, um, if you go from a consumer product uh, market even into uh, a hardware market into machines or into services or software, there's always different set of customers. So you need to bring, as, as John said, the customers along with them um, and uh, bring them through the transformation, not only your own organization. So it's also the, the customer that you need to look at. Uh, independent, if, the, if you're an established company or, or a startup, it's, it's going to be, um, on all sides of big transformation. So that, that's, I think that that's the only other thing I would add to it or um, even underline in the statements before. Underline bold italics. Yes, we've got it. Thank you. Thank you very much, David. That was a good conversation starter. Anything you'd like to say back to your co-panelists? Uh, no, thank you for agreeing with me. I feel very secure. Um, At that check mark. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a very good point. And the different strategies, whether you run it as a separate entity or the same entity or transform what you've got. Yeah, the path is still being written, I think, on that. Yeah. Oh, it's a work in progress and with, with yeah. a, lot, a lot of double entendres on work and progress. Thank you very much. John Majori, I'm looking at your statement number three for our next topic. Let's go with this. Interesting. You say not every intangible benefit can be quantified and monetized. Within transformation efforts, there are easily quantified aspects driven by the objectives, but often there are second order effects that stem from how humans respond to the changes. And I'm just gonna drop a couple of phrases in here. Subtle changes in employee engagement or customer perceptions or sustainability improvements. Let's take it from there. John, talk to us, please. Sure, as we said earlier, we said it several times, there's a human element to all this. And when I thought about this topic, uh, I thought about the kind of intrinsic complexity. To me, it's a cube, we've got different technologies we can provide. We have different domains or problems we wanna solve. And that, of course we have different business models. So it's kind of a cube. And I was trying to think of themes which uh, would be applicable to every spot within that cube. Uh, and obviously the human aspect is that. And uh, what we see and what we've, we've learned over the years is that as we transform people's jobs and transform people's business through digital and other, other transformation techniques, uh, there are foreseen benefits and there are unforeseen benefits and there's obviously risk and not everything goes perfectly but uh you know there's tangible outcomes that, and those are typically tied to the kpis which are tied to the business objectives that torsten talked about earlier 
And there's these, and there are peripheral benefits which are quantifiable, but not necessarily uh, part of the, the deal thesis. Uh, and then there's these intangible outcomes. And I would say they are typically emotional, uh, create an emotional response, hopefully positive. Uh, but they're just as important. Uh, and in some of the business objectives that drive us to this more, uh, I'd say, mature business model uh, are really around, you know, how, how people feel. And it ties back into the trust, uh, trust of your partner, your business partner, uh, and having their customers trust them. So, uh, you know, it's really, I would say, we think about speed of trust. We've all read that book. Uh, it takes that sort of, I'd say, uh, trust, level of trust to uh, allow us to move to servitization. And I, it's, it's unfortunate that some of the benefits that we can achieve through the audacious values that Torsten mentioned uh, may not be quantified. But again, it's, it's going to be supportive of, of, of keeping it sold and also uh, delivering more value. So it's, it's kind of a high level concept, but I do think that when the reality is, is that people buy uh, our products and services, not companies, ultimately it's people, and we're trying to make them successful. Uh, their success is our success. I would say, for instance, that if our customer stakeholders are succeeding, uh, we're succeeding. So th that's, that's it in a nutshell, I would say. Thank you. You're, you're harking back to, I remember a slogan, I've worked for some very large organizations, some in the financial services industry, John, and I remember a slogan many years ago, decades ago, back in what we used to call the late 1900s, before 2000, anybody remember? Anyway, um, it was, your success is our success. I think that was a corporate slogan for one of the big banks I worked for as a marketing director. Very interesting harking back to that, and it still matters. Torsten Welty, you're sitting right next to Mr. Majori right now, so why don't you weigh in here? What do you think? Agree or disagree, Torsten? I, I agree. Um, uh, as, as, we get, uh, as these companies get sticky with their customers, um, it's, it's really critical a to understand their operations in some cases you know people have to learn the details of their customers and uh, also to understand how they're measured uh, and measure their success so as, as John said it's a people business so you need to understand uh, your customer uh, the folks that work there that, that provide their service and what makes them successful um, so it's it's sharing those uh, those ways of measuring success and, and in some cases as, as John said, it is measurable. In some cases, it's it's not something that you can just pick up and say, I'm putting a number to it, or a smiley or <laughs> a frown face. Um, but we have so many different tools these days, right, to, to capture the, the sensors, the operations, marketing, weather, right? You can even get data from satellites uh, that come in or from the equipment uh, itself. Uh, to, to combine all that stuff and, and look at the situations. Uh, but in, in essence, the, the most critical part in most of these areas is the untangible elements and how to capture those, to send out surveys or other means to, to capture that, uh, and sometimes even have Zoom calls to see the faces. As you said, if you, if you see that the people's uh, reaction to specific uh, comments is, is super, super critical, or even in person. 
best in-person meetings that you can actually uh, see those things. So that that's the, the hard part in it. And um, people really have to understand how to set up uh, their measuring uh, KPIs and, and their tools so they get all the information to the right people. Because at the end of the day, it's also a, a, a real-time situation then, right? It's, it's not just a, uh, when you go to most companies today, when they look at reports, that's what's happened in the past. That's what happened in the last week. That's what happened in the last month. When you actually go into the servitization in the every, anything as a service business, you actually have to have real-time insights into your customers' operations because you have to react to it because there's a lead time to it, how you react. So that's the super, super critical part on this, why, why technology can re- really help there to, to cut down uh, on the reaction time and, and make both companies successful in it. Thank you. Your success is our success. David Lawson, join us. Thoughts on either or both? Go ahead. Uh, not not too much to contradict, just, just to kind of build. It, it totally changes the relationship with the customer. You go from being, you provided something and if it doesn't work, well, that's the person who's bought its problem and they'll, they'll probably sort it out with their local dealer or something like that to becoming the person that um, is responsible for the fact that they can't get home or they can't do this or they can't do that. And, you know, that's a huge, huge change. Um, I, what I observe is the people who are adopting these these new services the fastest tend to be the type of people who want more choice and want to configure and want to change a lot more. So, you know, maybe that maybe the person who would have and to have something for five years and not change it much isn't going to care too much. But somebody wants something for three months and wants to have a very specialist version of it and wants to change that a lot, he's going to adopt it, which is going to put so much pressure on it. Um, and you know, they're making a balance and choosing and they're looking at the risk, they're looking at the complexity and they're looking at the value they're going to get and comparing what they could do if, if they did it themselves. They're not going to have the, anything pulled over their eyes and just go for it just because it's a service now. Um, and so you just start taking those on as the supplier of that and, and adding more joined up stuff and getting more value out of it. And you've got to remember that people won't go for it if it doesn't look particularly a great bet or a great deal so you've got to build all that in so just doing it isn't enough you've got to you've got to actually take some of the risk you've got to get some value out of it so you've got to be more connected to know the condition of what's going on you've got to make reduce the service cost stuff like that it's all possible but yeah it's complex to make it work otherwise it's just an expensive way of buying something and who wants that (laughs) touche an expensive way of buying something and who wants that john majority this was your conversation starter anything you'd like to say back to the others no, just listening to, to Torsten and David, I was thinking uh, about uh, something that uh, Alan Weiss said. I've probably heard of him. Uh, he writes a lot of consulting books, and he says there's a difference between what the customer wants and what he needs. And, you know, if we can link those, if we can we'll succeed if we lessen that gap. And, uh, um, you know, I would say that fully understanding the value delivery is a good way to do that and, and, and being upfront. So good comments. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for the starter. Really appreciate it. We have more time. Let's go to statement number four from Torsten Welty, our kickoff speaker here. And this is interesting. We've mentioned some of these words already, but let's take a deep dive. Torsten captioned this topic as higher rewards by managing the risks. And he says the contractual agreements drive a lot of the behaviors. Many outcome-based business models reduce the acquisition cost and distribute the costs over the life cycle of the product or service, lowering the price point to obtain 
maintain the product or service, and risk management around key operational KPIs is critical. I'm going to stop there. Torsten, expand it, unpack it, please, and then we'll see what the other gentlemen have to say. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is this is taken out of the context for uh, asset-centric uh, or hardware-centric uh, operation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, something similar also for software or services-related guys. But in, in essence, um, as a lot of these companies, uh, especially established companies, had to move into this area uh, because they were looking for new revenue opportunities or addressing the economical situations, they really had to uh, shift their operation, their price, and their expectation, as John said, from the customer in that area. A lot of companies don't necessarily know how their equipment, I'm I'm using equipment as an example, how their equipment, their hardware is used at the customer side. So it's a learning curve. Uh, And a lot of people don't necessarily know what's happening on the other side. As an example is, you know, if you're responsible for the uptime of a bottling machine at at uh, one of uh, the the premier bottling companies, and, and you provide now the service of bottling water, um, and uh, you may not know what the the labor force at the plant is doing, how they're operating, how much they run through, all this stuff. Some of it you can, uh, you know, detect through your your contracts before but most of the things you don't but what happens actually is you need to understand what's happening at that site how they use that equipment how you manage the uptime of it how your service people help in this right and this goes like uh it was said before uh, all the way from design of the product to to the maintenance of it uh to to the installation and the usage of it um so that means it will drive a, a different product at the end, right? Because you have to uh, reduce the service interruptions. So you need to get a better product out there that's more stable, or at least get the maintenance cycles uh, in alignment so that you reduce the risk. Because any interruption is an additional cost and it's actually waste for your customer. And because you're running now that the equipment, it's your waste. Uh, and you're responsible for it. So at the end, like John said before, this is really also a model that drives better products, right? It's not just a product that is produced and it breaks six months after your warranty runs out, which in most consumer products we we experience. Um, But it also brings in this whole notion of uh, innovation, Right, because now you can actually look and drive innovation in your products, in your services, uh, in a completely different way with your customers, to reduce the risk, right? To to make your customers successful, and and that's the exciting part because you see that a lot of companies move with their existing products into this field, but then they realize, oh, we need to make the product better. We need to bring new services around it in software area, new services in in additional things that makes the bottling better or flying an, an aircraft better. Or uh, a friend of mine is a, in a startup of providing furniture as a as a service, right? So you don't have to buy the furniture anymore. You are getting a living room and you can change that layout at any point of time or when you move, you don't have to move. You just get your furniture again. So it is a completely different thinking and it's a completely different way of looking at it. And even after 
the products are used or the services are used, what are you doing afterwards with it? Because it's becoming waste uh, and you own the assets, so you have to manage that process as well. So that's an additional risk. So you, you, you're sticking with the product all the way from the beginning to the end. So you don't want to design or build a product that you have to spend a lot of money then recycling it uh, or, or take, taking care of it at end of life. So that's, that's the uh, exciting part of it, but it's also a big risk, right? Because in some areas, you're not familiar with uh, what's to come uh, and to manage that process. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Let's go around the table. We have time. David Lawson, you're up. Talk to us. Agree or disagree? Whatever you dare. Uh, I ex- just expand. Um, I think that um, if you look at the back back to the point Torsten make about a a, a bottling company, um, people are fighting for owning the supply of a service, and in his case, the bottler will be wanting to do it, but it could well be that the drink manufacturer wants to do it or the distributor or whoever it is and so I think that's still going to be played out we're working with firms who make agricultural stuff and they want to take a a share of the crop and the growth of the crop and want to make it a success and want to view it with drones and go wow that's grown really well who's going to take that I don't know will it be the people who provide the seeds the fertilizer the farmer everybody's fighting over that at the moment so it's all it's all moving I I am pretty certain if you're not in it you won't win it so have a go and if you move first you might well be able to grab the supply chain and change your business model Um, it affects people and the way they behave and I'll just start with an anecdote I have a company car I had I four years they started putting in a charge in when you handed it back for every not in dent and the maximum was a thousand so i hand back every car now with at least a thousand pounds worth of damage and i don't get it fixed as i go along i've changed my behavior i used to get them fixed now i know my maximum bill is a thousand so it's a bit soiled when it's returned so it does change things so they have to think about it in the way that us consumers behave oh i want to know the name of that company Oh my goodness gracious! You should do. They should do that for houses too. I have a friend who's selling a house, and they have had to move out and rent an apartment at two thousand dollars a month, and they've had to hire a stager. They've had to move all their furniture out, restage the house. It has to be spotless. It has to be repainted. It has to be re-landscaped to put it on the market. Wouldn't it be nice if you just said, "This is my house. It's been well lived in and loved. Can you see yourself in it?" And this is the price. Damn it! I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Then the move by my leasing company has had the opposite effect where I now don't care. I know I'll get a bill, so I just ruin it. <laughs> there you go. John Majori, join us. We have just six minutes left, but John, I'm going to give you your three minutes of agree or disagree. Please go ahead. Sure. I'll just uh, put a little bit different spin on what Torsten said. Of course, I agree with what he said. To me, it's it's about lowering risk throughout the life cycle. And if you've made an investment to create an expensive asset, uh, you know, bottling factory, what have you, you've, it's, it's not realistic in today's age to just uh, to let it run. You have to have both product and customer intimacy and that those IOT methods that uh, Torsten mentioned are, are a key. So again, understanding not only how the, the equipment is performing and uh, but also as a window into your customer's usage, because that's a key part of success or not success. And as David said, there's a there's a complicated supply chain who wants to be part of it. And and again, it opens up you know new externalities of data flow and data monetization. 
but it's extremely important, and and I think it's part and parcel of how we we think today. I think servitization opens up, or I would say, unlocks a lot of of new opportunities, both in terms of succeeding throughout the life cycle, but also these other external uh, opportunities. So agree, it's exciting, and, uh, and and this is a great topic. So thank you. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We actually, uh, Torsten, anything you want to say back? Because I'd love to squeeze in a 60-second prediction from each of you. Torsten, it's your call. Yeah, so uh, just a quick thing. I think uh, I agree with a uh, statement. I, I disagree that uh, IoT is the only thing. I think it's it's a super critical part, but I think it's the whole integration of the operations in the background, all the way from HR, manufacturing, procurement, supply chain, like David said in the beginning. So that's the critical part to get everything glued together and stick together so that it all works together That uh, as like a clockwork, like a Swiss clockwork. Thank you. I think I remember Swiss clocks. Let's go around the table. 60 seconds each. That's one sentence with one comma, one semicolon, one long dash, one exclamation point, end with the period. 60 seconds. We'll be still be talking about this topic if we met again. Let's make it easy at the end of 2023, which is just about two years away. Yes or no and one sentence explanation. Torsten Welty, go ahead. We're on the clock now. Go ahead. Yes, absolutely, we will. And we see that trend already going. PayPal bought this big Japanese company to to allow even in a consumer area of, you know, buy now, pay later. So we'll see that coming in all different areas and the new generations, they're looking for it. Thank you. David Lawson, 60 seconds. Well, I can actually give you 75 seconds because he was pretty uh, yeah. tight. Go ahead. Yes, we will be talking about it. The winners will be the people who get this right and have a model that works from end to end. And finally, go and read about SAP Brim because it's going to be huge. Spell that B R. What is it? B R I M. Capital letters. I am. Okay. Want to make sure everybody heard that. John Majori, you've got, you can have 90 seconds. They were so tight. This never happens. Go ahead. Well, I agree that uh, obviously we will be talking about this. My forecast, my prediction would be that we'll make the most um, progress in software because I believe some of the hurdles are less and some of the, uh, the the opportunities are just as great. So I think that my prediction is that's, in the software IT um, industry is where we'll make the most progress in servitization. All right, I have one more round, bonus round question. This is a 30 second or less answer. By 2025, will we still be calling this topic servitization or servitization or will we have a completely other word? We'll be talking about anything as a service, XAAS. What will the buzzword be for this topic? Torsten, talk to me real fast. Yeah, I, I think it will change. I think it goes towards uh, anything as a service because we will see a lot of people get super creative and innovative and they it will just expand and expand and expand. And we've seen examples that were just super, super creative in all different areas and industries. Thank you. David Lawson, 2025, mm, yes, no. Servitization, bit of a big, long word. I think it's going to change outcome-based uh, something like that. I don't, I'm not sure what will replace it. I think service stylization will go away and it'll be renamed. Thank you. John Majori, the last word, go. I, I agree. I think about the emails I've written. I don't think I've ever typed the word servitization, but I have <laughs> typed XAAS and outcome based. So there's your prediction. There you go. Thank you very much. And, Torsten, and you thank need you to for- put it into a text. <laughs> 
you can't put some legislation in a text. I mean, who these days would text uh, yeah. that long word? That's correct. Torsten, thank you for having anything as a service, XAAS, in your title on your background. I appreciate that because it's present and present top of mind. Thank you so much to the three of you. Torsten, I understand you worked hard with Judy to pick this panel and invite them. Yeah. David Lowson, wonderful to see you on another show of mine about, I don't know, a year ago, six months ago. Happy to have you in this forum. This is very different. John Majori, we're so happy to meet you. Thank you. The three of you are very impressive thinkers on the spot. I think we need to make up a T-O-O-S. TOS, thinkers on the spot. Yes, I think your thinkers out there. I messed a T in there somewhere. And a thank you to Judy Cuba so much. And a thank you to our engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller at Voice America Radio, the business channel. Aaron started working with me three years ago. He was 26. Now he's 62. Go figure. Talk about servitization. Everybody have a great day. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody wave for the video. Thank you, Torsten. Thank you, David. Thank you, John. Bye-bye. Signing off. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.